Jesus. Why don't you just lift your hands in this room and just say that name. Jesus. The name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus, we exalt you in this place. You are the one and only God. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. So right now we're just going to do what I was teaching you to do last week. Just put your hand on your chest. And just take three really deep breaths. Just breathe in. close your eyes for a minute, just feel him, just feel him, just in the quietness, the stillness, he's teaching us rest, we've been through so much in our lives, but particularly in the last three years, and he's teaching us how to rest. You know, the word of God says that the Israelites do not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Therefore, they never entered into rest. But in Hebrews it says, but therefore there remains a rest for us through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we've got to slow our lives right down because Jesus he wants to visit us in unprecedented ways, in ways you've never experienced before. But the Prince of Peace needs to land on rest and on peace within our spirits. Amen? I think it was Bill Johnson that said, how would you walk differently if you realized there was a dove on your shoulder? And the Holy Spirit rests on us. And if we're conscious of that dove on our shoulder, how differently would we walk in peace and in rest? Whew. Amen. Hallelujah. So, I want to talk to you this morning about what in the world is God up to. Anybody been thinking that? We, we, we can blatantly see what the enemy is up to, yeah? It's everywhere. It's all over the papers. It's, well, we don't read papers anymore, but it's all over the internet. What the enemy is doing, he is really freaking out because he knows his time is short. But as the Lord draws nearer in these days, you will begin to see what God is doing. And it's not going to be a secret anymore. 
He's going to make himself known. Amen. I see that hand, Deb. Woo! (laughs) I love it. So, throughout the years, let me just turn that down a little bit for me, Gail. Don't you think Gail, her playing, has that, the worship team? I mean, they're next level. Chrissy, next level. What are you doing sitting all the way over there? It should be in the front row. You and Shane, move now. Move now. And Meredith, three of you, go. I'm commanding you. I need someone to preach to. Look, my hubby is, my hubby is not here. Pastor Phil is on a mission trip with eight, eight swearing, cussing golf men for four days. He came home last night and said, I just need a break. And he went back again because he wants to bring them to Jesus. So he's on a mission trip. So we bless those men. Also, he's playing golf. So I said to him, look, for 20, nearly 27 years, you've been at the coalface. Go. Have some joy. Amen. And he said to me this morning that he laughed all the way there. An hour and a half drive, he laughed all the way. Clay, he's getting your anointing. And uh, he said, and he texted me, he said, I got the joy. I got it. I said, good on you. So throughout the years, and we can see that when we look at the Old Testament particularly, how man is like close to God and God shows himself forth in great miracles. Think about the people coming out of Egypt and, and crossing the Red Sea and the seas parting and manna coming from heaven. I mean, there was stuff going on, right? That would make you go, God is awesome, God is awesome. But it wouldn't take them very long before they started complaining, before they started forgetting, before they started forgetting the miracles that he had done and they just shrink back to normal life again. Does that sound familiar? Because it's our human tendency as the world crashes in on us to just shrink back to normal. What is normal? Anyway, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Normal is revival. This is how we're supposed to be living, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it, Terry? I know, you live like that. And so every now and then, God would turn up and do a sign or a miracle or a wonder that he would remind them again. And that's why the the Jews, the Israelites, they do lots of festivals and lots of, you know, um, what do you call them? You know, thank you, darling. There you go, Nisi, you can speak. Feasts. Yeah, they do lots of feasts. And that that would remind them and that they would remember what God had done because they knew they had a tendency to forget. So they have the feast to remember what God has done, right? I think that you would agree today that we need a move of God that will awaken firstly the church, that will clothe the bride and prepare her for the glory realm we're going to walk in, And that will then in turn awaken the world. They say a billion soul harvest. That's not not hard for me to imagine. I don't know about you, but I can imagine that. I think more. Because I believe that that once the Lord is revealed in his glory, which he will be and he is right now being revealed, you, you try and stay away from him. When the king of glory is in your presence, you try and stay away from him. Even the worst sinners will fall at his feet. The man with a legion of demons, you would think that that, that he couldn't go near Jesus. But when he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet and Jesus completely delivers him. These are the days we're living in, amen? But I think you would agree with me that we need a visitation like we have never seen on earth before. And we're about to have it and it is already happening. Can you feel the change in here? Can you, Chloe? I can feel it, love. I can feel it. You know, you're so prophetic, Chloe. 
You're so here, God, in that really deep, beautiful place. I love that about you. I love that about you, Chloe. That's why he made you the way you are. Because you have this really innocent, childlike faith in God. I love that about you. So we're beginning to see God move. And things are going to happen as God moves. I mean, this morning, every time I talk about it, I'm going to cry. So I'll say it really fast. Every time I'm in his presence, I can't, I'm just wailing. Because I so want to see him glorified. You know what I mean? Like, it's all I can pray, all I can think about. Jesus, be glorified. How could you entrust to human beings that we would somehow display your glory, that we would somehow tell people about you? Oh, Lord, let us do you justice. Let us do you justice, Jesus. And as we see and behold the risen King, what comes out of our mouth will be Him. Just now I was just standing there in the worship and I saw Jesus standing in front of me, but I had my head down. And He said, lift up your, lift up your chin, lift up your head, look at me. And I lifted up my chin, I looked into his eyes, and he said, Julie, you've got this. And then he said, watch what I do now. And he walked into me, turned around inside of me, put his hands in my hands, put his eyes in my eyes. He said, this is what I'm going to do to all people if they are willing. I in him, him in me, we are one. Jesus is going to speak through us. Jesus is going to look through our eyes. Jesus is going to touch people. Miracles will happen. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know. So, to understand what God is doing, what He has done, I want to unpack some things for you. Are you okay with that? And there may be things that you've heard before, and they may not be. But I'm wondering... If um, Andy, if I could have one of those things with my bottle of water in it, because I'm really dry, that would be awesome. So, we have been seeing of recent days, which started, thank you so much, Russell. Um, my water's down there, yeah, Chrissy's got it. I've already kind of uncapped it, so be careful. Ah, thanks. Thank you. We've been seeing what is called the Ashbury Revival. Some of you may have seen, put up your hand if you haven't seen that or heard about that. Everyone has. You haven't heard about it. You haven't heard about it. Let me fill you in. Only two people, now have a look around. Only two people in this whole room haven't heard about it. And I would say that the world has heard about it. Because this is the beauty, isn't it? This is the beauty of technology. Now when something happens, boof, it goes right out throughout the world. So it started on February 8th. Uh, you can see the picture there. That's Asprey Revival. It started with just a chapel service at a university. And, and they finished the chapel service as they normally do. And the guy shared on, if you want to, and it was, you know, it was a pretty ordinary sermon, to be honest. Don't tell him I said that but you know it was pretty ordinary it was like mainstream you know and uh, he said if we want to show Jesus we need to imbibe of his love and we need to let the love of God overwhelm us and consume us the love of Jesus and then we can go because a lot of them were going out to the mission fields and stuff anyway he felt that he'd failed and he walked off the stage. He rang his wife and he said, I just blew it. It was terrible. I felt no anointing. Um, you know, God didn't come. Uh, I just feel so depressed. You need to pray for me. But after he walked off the stage and he's outside ringing his wife, they closed, they went to close in a song. Well, that song didn't finish for 400 hours, 16 days. 
24 hours a day. Reports say that 90,000 people came from all over the world to a little town in Kentucky. That's how hungry people are for God. That's how hungry they are. They're ready. They're ready. And there's Christians all over this world that are so sick and tired of what's been. Where God's demolishing the structures and the ways that we did church. And he's coming. He's clearing the stage of our stuff. And he's taking the stage himself. Beautiful thing. 90,000 people come and worship God. Amen. Keep that picture up there for me. This is the Ashbury perspective from one of the senior students there. He said, I came from a spiritual background that has left me weary of hype in a culture of spectacle. I've grown tired of disintegrous, disintegrous, that's a good word, representations of divine work. Wow. But it is clear God is moving in a surprising and transformative way. However, when you think of revival, what comes to mind might not be what's happening. The movements of the spirit in Western evangelism always exist in the middle of a cultural movement. A, a generous interpretation of these movements reveals unique traits for each one. For example, fervor for the Great Commission at Mount Hermon Conference, overwhelming joy at Toronto, zeal for the lost at Brownsville, acts of healing at the Kansas City Awakening, and manifestation of tongues at the Azusa Street Revival. In each move of the Spirit, God clearly manifests in a specific way for that generation. I find it interesting that God would mark this outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety and a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness, I would call it an orphan spirit. I think God's calling his sons and daughters to himself and to home. An authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. A leadership em emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power. Because the leadership of, of this university, they wouldn't let cameras in, they're not going to let the news in. No, we're not going to get up there. We're not going to let any big keynote speakers speak. No, but all the big keynote speakers that I know across the world were sitting in that, those meetings crying their eyes out as these kids just worshipped God. And no one was preaching. They were just sharing testimonies. It was just like Jesus took over. I'm not saying that preaching is wrong. We need preaching. Amen. We need the word. But, mate... This is what God is doing. So he says, a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by religious power. I think we can all put our hand up to that, huh? We've all been hurt by religious power in some way or another. This is what happens when man starts to do what God should be doing. When man starts to build his Babel Tower. And then the tongues get confused and we don't understand the language anymore. And then suddenly God destroys the Babel Tower and people are speaking the same language again. If you know what I mean by that, grab it if you want to. And a focus on participatory adoration at an age of digital destruction. They say that no one had their phones out. I mean, you can, you, can, you can Google, like, worship conferences and the stage is worshipping and you look through the crowd and people are just filming it. They're not even in the room. They're not even present. But they're saying at this one, every, there was no phones. People in an age of digital distraction, all they could do was adore the king and they weren't distracted by it. Pretty powerful. It is marked by a tangible feeling of holistic peace, a restorative sense of belonging, 
a non-anxious present felt safety. That's an important thing, isn't it? The people feel safe in the house of God. I hope you feel safe this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Repentance driven by experienced kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Humble stewardship of power and holiness through treasuring adoration. It is a holy move of God. I'm telling you, it's holy. Peace and restorative sense of belonging, a non-action presence. I said that. Um, yes. Adoration. There have been many, many revivals over the years, and some of you may not even heard about them. So let's just do a quick backtrack and look at the revivals that have, a couple of revivals that have been before, and then come forward and say, what's different that God is doing now? What in the world are you up to, Lord? Amen? So let's start with this one, the Welsh Revival, 1904. This is my husband's heritage. He had relatives in the Welsh Revival. And uh, I think he still carries that anointing, actually. So the Welsh Revival. How did the Welsh Revival start? There was a young man named Evan Roberts. Just a young man. He'd been working in the coal mines. But God started to come on him with what he would call intense fire an intense intercession. And he would be in the coal mines interceding and, and the presence of God would come on him. And he's just going like, what is going on? I need to go to seminary or to Bible college. I need to find out what God is saying in me. There's something burning inside of me. I have this burning that God's going to move in Wales. And so he goes to seminary He's at seminary for two months, but every time he tries to study, he's just gone in God's presence. His head is on the table. He's weeping. The power of God's going through him. He can't do normal life at all. He's trashed by God. After two months of this, he goes to uh, his uh, oversight or the leader of the, un of the um, seminary, and he says to him, I feel like... God has told me to go back to my hometown, to the little church that I grew up in, and I feel like I'm going to bring revival. And, and, you know, this great man who could have just went to him, who do you think you are? You've done two months of seminary and you haven't even opened a book. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Who do you think you are? No, this great man said to him, you must go. You must go. And he said to him, you can take some of the men with you because one week of revival, they'll learn more than in three years of seminary. So back he went. He went by himself. The men came later when revival broke out. He goes to his little church and he sits in this little church and he goes to the pastor of the church. Can you imagine this? And he says, Pastor, I've come back from seminary. I did two months of seminary. Um... And I believe that God wants to bring revival here and start in this church. Um, and I believe I've got something on me to say. And the pastor said, oh, good on you, pat him on the head, you know, kind of thing. Well, why don't you come to the Monday night prayer meeting? So the Monday night prayer meeting, they're having their prayer meeting and they go up until about 10 o'clock at night. And, and he asked, the pastor asked everyone else in the room to pray except Evan. Evan's just sitting there, shaking under the power of God, interceding, and he, and he says, the, he starts to pray this prayer, Oh, Lord, bend me. That was his prayer. Lord, bend me. We would say, Lord, break me. And he's crying. And at the end, the pastor says, I'm closing down the prayer meeting now. But there's a young Evan Roberts here who thinks he's got something to say. And so if anybody wants to stay around, he's going to speak. And everybody left except 16 people. The pastor left, everybody left. 16 people stayed. He stood up and God spoke through him. And the Welsh revival began with 16 people and a little boy 
who didn't even know what he was doing, but God had consumed him. I'm saying these things because you don't know what God can do with who you are. Never underestimate what is inside of you. That's why I preached last week, I am in him and he is in me. We are one. Jesus is inside of you. All you got to do is get burning. I think there was one revivalist said that I just set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. (laughs) That's how I feel right now. I don't think I'm on fire. I think I'm trash, but I'm trash in his presence. I mean, I just can't stop crying. That's, I don't know what that means, but anyway, hallelujah. So the revival spread throughout all of Wales and it is reported Listen to this, that 100,000 souls outside of the church were saved. 100,000 through the obedience of one man burning for Jesus. Amen. It is also reported that 100,000 souls within the church were saved. They were going to church, but they didn't know. They weren't even saved. 200,000 people saved. Amen. He would go to meetings, Evan Roberts, and he would stand there because it was breaking out in so many different places that he had to go to different places. And he would stand there and he would say to the people, Jesus said if two or three are gathered, he will be in the midst of us. Is that right? And they all yell, yes. And then he would say, so is Jesus here? They'd all go, yes. And he'd go, tell me again, is Jesus here? Yes. He said, well, you don't need me. And he'd put his hat and coat on and walk out. And the revival would go all night without him. Amen. The pubs began to complain because 70% alcohol intake was decreased by 70%. 70% of men stopped. Now, you're talking about whales, the coal mines. They were big drinkers. They went to the pub every night. They beat their wives. They went to the pub. They were rough men. 70%. There was one man. <laughs> he, he was saying, oh, this revival is rubbish, and I'm just going to the pub. He came out of the revival meeting. He's on his way to the pub camp. And uh, he gets off the train. There's his pub right there. He gets off the train. All of a sudden, the power of God hits him. He falls to his knees. And he starts worshipping God at the top of his Welsh voice and crying and singing to God and tears pouring down his face. So the guys in the pub looked out and said, oh, look at Jimmy. He must have had a few already. Let's go and mock him. No, he was singing to God. And when they got near him, they all fell to their knees with their beers in their hands and started worshipping God with their... We're their schooners. Then the people in the pool room heard it, and so they all came out to mock Jimmy, and they all fell to their knees as well. Well, the noise was so, the the worship was so loud that everyone thought that the church was open and that the pastor had been locked in the church and he was worshipping God all night. So the caretaker of the church went to unlock the church to let the pastor out, realised it was empty, went to the train station and led all these men to the Lord. All of them came to Jesus. Amen. You know, the Welsh, uh, in each town, the Welsh people went to the police force and said, well, we're going to stop paying you. And they said, well, you can't stop paying us. Well, they said, well, what are the the two things that you do? Okay, we, we stop crime. And they said, okay, well, crime is stopped. So you don't have a job. No joke, there was no crime in Wales. None. There was nothing. So they said, what's the other thing you do? Well, we control crowds. Well, you don't need to control the crowds because Jesus is controlling them. They said, okay, well, we can put together some quartets and we can sing at the revival meetings. Will you pay us for that? That's all they could do. It was like a reformation of a whole, a whole country. They're saying that nearly the whole country was saved. The whole country was saved. Amen? <laughs> so good. They had pit, pit ponies. They call them pit ponies, small ponies that would, you know, have 
the trailers behind them and they would carry the coal from the coal mines, these pit ponies. And they realized that the pit ponies never move because they were so used to the, the men cussing at them and yelling at them and being angry at them. The pit ponies were confused like, I don't understand these requests for me to move with a soft voice without swearing. And so they had to, to retrain the pit ponies how to respond to, to godly language. Uh, that was incredible. <laughs> I mean, there's so much more I could tell you, but for time, I won't go into it. But this was a, an incredible move of God that is an historical move of God that transforms a whole country. I believe Wales is going to break out any minute. I know it. Because God doesn't put a seed like that in a nation and leave it. Amen. And so let's look at this one. This is another one that's on the news right now because there's a movie about to come out about the Jesus Revolution. About the early 1960s. Some people say 1959. It started, and um, this is how it started. Let me tell you, so much fun. It started through this man. Yep. Next one. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's him, and that's his little church. A pastor of a small religious church in California, California was at his wit's end. I think his name's Chuck Smith, is that right? Hang on, I'll tell you. Yes. And he was at his wit's end because he had, had no growth in the church. He just had like these really religious people. And he was at his wit's end. He was sick of it. And so the leaders of his, uh, the leaders of his denomination came to him and said, we're going to have to sack you because you're not seeing any growth. So he went home and he was you know, in, in, in this place saying, God, you know, I've given my life to you and I, I don't know why I'm not getting growth. And at the same time, the television was on, his wife was watching all these hippies. And, and she's saying, look at these people, they're just so out of control. And he says, in a bold voice, probably not that bold, if I could just meet one of those hippies and turn him around, I know God would move. But he didn't really mean it. He was just boasting and, you know, saying something. Anyway, a couple of days later, his daughter turns up at home with a hippie. And he's got no shoes on. He's got this long hair and a beard. Hey, man, you know, he's on drugs, obviously. And what's this man doing in my house, he says. And his daughter said, well, you said if you could meet one hippie, I bought one home for you to meet. <laughs> so he goes, whoa, this is embarrassing. And so he sits down to talk to this hippie and he realizes that there is such a cry in this man's heart for the things of God, but he's just trying all these other things, which is, you know, was so much in the 60s where it was just like free love and drugs and all that stuff. And, you know, really what they were searching for was Jesus. And so he sat down and talked to this guy and he realized that he had common ground with him. And he led this hippie to Jesus Christ in his lounge room. And then he said, would you like to come to church? And the hippie said, well, I'll come if I can bring my friends because they're all searching like I am. Sure, come on Sunday. So this, you know, well-appointed little religious church, all these hippies pile in and they've got filthy feet, they've got no shoes, they smell, they probably haven't had baths. They're, you know, they're just, they're all, woo, man, hey, man. They're probably half of them on drugs and they, they start to come into this church at first, I think there was about 20 of them. Of course, the religious people in the church were just so irate. How could you bring these filthy people into our church? And their feet are filthy, and we just got the new green carpet, you know. They're wrecking our new green carpet. So the next week, the pastor was at the door with a bowl of water, and he washed all their feet before they came into the church. And then he would say to them, now go sit next to that man in the tweed jacket. And he sort of really irritated their religious, you know, he just said, because these kids were getting saved. I mean, they were getting saved. Jesus was calling them, you know. And so the church filled up to capacity. He had no more room with these hippies everywhere. And the denomination came into, you've got to shut this thing down. You've got to close the doors of the church to these hippies. We want our church back. How terrible. 
And so he tries to tell this hippie, my denomination don't want you. They're shutting the doors of the church to you. And this guy said, here we are searching for Jesus, but the church is shutting the doors. You're going to shut the doors? And he said, no, I'm not. They can have their church. And he bought this huge tent. Just put that tent, is that tent, tent picture there? Yeah. He bought this huge tent and he, and he invited whoever wanted to come. And so the Jesus revolution or the Jesus revival or the Jesus movement was birthed. Amen. Just go back to that picture of him baptizing uh, people. There he is baptizing them. They're all crying out to be baptized. Hallelujah. And this is what it looked like. Look, look at the, the, next, the next screen, which is the one with the, the banners up and... Like they would protest now, not about free love and drugs and sex and whatever they wanted, but they were protesting about Jesus. There's only one way to Jesus. He is the way to God. There's no other way to God. And they were just out with it. They were just, they were just filling the streets. This started to move to other nations and it spread across the nations of the earth. Um, and look at this one. This is all of the people scrambling down to get water baptized. I mean, they just came from everywhere. Hallelujah. That was in California. California. But it spread to the rest of the world. I think they, they say that 1,700 churches were planted by these hippies. No, don't, don't go there. Go back, please. I'm not there yet. Just stay there yet. 1,700 churches were planted by these hippies, 1,700 churches. And there's people still in ministry today from that. Guess who some of those people are that are still in ministry today? Phil and Chris Pringle. Drug addict hippies walk into a really religious little church during the Jesus movement or the Jesus revival. Only full of old people, little old people. And they just said, we've come to find Jesus. And they said, well, you've come to the right place. They had a different attitude completely than this other church. And they got saved. They came to the altar. They gave their hearts to Jesus. And then they said, okay, we're going to take you out the back now and deliver you. And they did full deliverance with these old people. Come out in Jesus' name. We deliver you of addiction. We deliver you of every wrong spirit you've entered into witchcraft and all this stuff. And they got delivered, set on fire for God. And that's how this whole movement, C3 movement, started by the Jesus revival. How's that? So that's just a few revivals that we've been talking about. But God is moving so much, and he did move so much. There were healing revivals. Many of you would know about Smith Wigglesworth, you know, the healing evangelist. I mean, you know, he, he saw, I think, how many, how many people raised from the dead, Cam? You would know. 17, is it? There's quite a few. 17 recorded raisings from the dead. One of them was his own wife. She died. And he said, in the name of Jesus, you come back. And she rose from the dead. And she said, oh, Smith, why did you bring me back? I was in glory. Can you send me back? He said, all right, back you go. And uh, she went back. But, you know, we, in his ministry, there were babies, children, like really deformed babies. He would pray for them, and they would come and be healed. I mean, look into it, Smith Wigglesworth. Catherine Corman, incredible woman of God. Against all odds, women weren't allowed to preach in those days. Against all odds, she just, the fire of God came on her. She paid huge prices for the ministry. And she would get tens of thousands of people coming to her meetings. And they'd bring them in from the hospital on stretchers. They're near death. And they would line up the stretchers in the front. She'd stand at the back. She'd say, oh, Holy Spirit, what if you don't come? And it's just me standing out there. I've got nothing to give these people. 
And then you would see her walk onto the stage like, I've seen videos of her, she'd walk onto the stage like this and she'd be like, oh, trembling. And then she'd go, oh, Holy Spirit. And he would like, yeah, okay, he's here, you know what I mean? Uh, incredible woman of God, look into her. When she died in the hospital, um, there was a fragrance of roses that went for three blocks. And everyone was saying, where's the roses? Where's the roses? Oh, no, it was when that woman passed away. And she had said to the nurse, Jesus said he's going to bring me roses when I'm on my way. And for all these blocks, everybody's smelling roses. And there's more to that about her death. Incredible. Mary Woodwithetta was an, another, Maria Woodwithetta was another incredible woman. They called her the trance evangelist. One day she was preaching and she went, Jesus and stopped and she was there for two days two days like in a trance she went to heaven the body was still there people came reporters came took pictures of it what is this phenomena this woman hasn't moved for two days after two days people were taking photos of her and astounded what was going on and she went yes and and she just picked up her preaching like she hadn't been gone they're saying that she would pray for people and they were going to trances for eight days. And eight days they would walk around heaven. Their God would teach them things and show them things around heaven, how they could walk on the earth. I mean, that's crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay. So what is God up to now? <laughs> They're amazing things. And there's many more, many more revivals. Because we, who knows, we get cold pretty fast. We get complacent pretty fast. We get weary pretty fast. We get religious pretty fast. And so God's got to come and come and come. So what's he up to now? Okay, the Ashbury Revival that we talked about has now spread to 21 universities. You've got 21 universities right now that are worshipping and praying all night and all day, nonstop. And revivals are breaking out all over the world. Have a look at this in the Philippines. This is people just now, recently, lining up to be water baptised. All of them want to be water baptised. And you can see that that picture actually cuts people off. There's more than that. Look at them. Hungry for God. Wanting to be water baptised. How would you like our water baptisms to be like that? Hey, we'd need all of you to dunk them, wouldn't we? We'd need all of you to dunk them. Uh, look at this this is in Mexico 6,000 people accepted Jesus Christ almost 53,000 people gathered during two days in this arena in Mexico they all sang and called on the name of Jesus and Franklin Graham made a call who wants to accept Christ and 6,000 people responded this was just last week it's happening. Even here in our humble church, can you feel it? Even here at Tugra, God's coming. It's different. Like Phil and I have lived through revival. We lived through the revival of the 90s. That's how we got called into ministry. We know what that revival felt like. That revival was about awakening people to their first love and giving them back joy. And while they were laughing, he was doing surgery. We know what revival feels like. I know what it feels like when the, when, when the, when the kabod glory of God, the manifest presence of God comes into a room and no one can stand up, but you all fall on your faces and cry, and not even the preacher can preach. I know what I've been in those times. I, but this is different. This feels different. And I'll tell you why it feels different. God is showing himself in a powerful way. God is coming into our churches. And he won't care what's in the way, procedures, policies, programs. He will be in control. <laughs> he will be in control. He'll be in control, not man. And we'll be out of control. You know, birth looks really messy, doesn't it? 
Any midwives in the house? Any women that have given birth? It's pretty messy. I've delivered, I think, seven of my nine grandchildren. It gets messy. What is the difference of the revivals of past and the awakenings and visitations of the past to what God is doing now? In the past, revivals, listen to me, he would use one man or one woman to be the catalyst. I believe what we are witnessing is that he is pouring out his spirit on all flesh at once. And himself, and himself only, will be the name that is remembered. Jesus is taking centre stage. This is the fulfilment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says in Acts 2.17, This is what I will do in the last days. Listen to me. This is what I will do in the last days. Days, I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy and I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. What's different about this revival, move of God, awakening, reformation, whatever you want to call it, I'll tell you this, no one man is going to get any glory. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church is going to walk in glory days. And you and I are going to carry the same miracles and signs and wonders that these men and women carry, but we'll be no-named, no-faced, no-named people. We just get where they'll see Jesus. They'll remember Jesus. They won't even remember us. I pray that people don't know my name, that they would see Jesus, amen, because it's time for Jesus to be glorified on the earth. Hallelujah. I'm on my seventh day of a water fast because I said to God, and you're not supposed to tell people that, but I've finished it anyway today, so I can tell you that it's finished. And I said to Jesus, I just, I just want to glorify you, Lord. I just want to spend seven whole days focused on you. I've been locked in my house just all day, all night in prayer, in worship in the presence of Jesus all day, all night, seven days. And you know, the, only, the thing that I came out with, I had this vision, don't put that up yet. And in this vision, I saw Jesus and he was completely light. And I saw him coming in and I saw him landing at different places throughout the earth. Just show that um, picture. This is sort of what I saw. He was completely light and he was landing himself in places. Jesus has come. He has been seated at the right hand of Father for all this time, waiting for the day when his glorious church, his bride would be ready, that she would accept him as the, as the glorified king. Not as Jesus the saviour, but as Jesus glorified. And I saw him landing in different places. And as he landed these things he showed me would take place. What happens when Jesus lands in a place? The first thing that happens is a love that perhaps none of us have experienced to this time. When the glorified Christ 
wraps his arms around individuals and calls them into his presence, calls them into his love. There is an awakening in the heart of people when Jesus loves them. We can love them to a certain extent, but when he does it, So love happens when Jesus lands anywhere. Can you feel love right now? Can you feel him? Can you feel it, Kayleen? He's just wrapping, he's just wrapping himself right around you. I can just see it right now. Oh, Jesus, he knows us. He knows us. The second thing that will happen is Christ-centered worship. You notice that we're singing all songs about Jesus lately. I said, don't sing any other song. Don't sing your songs about yourself. For, for a decade or more, we've sung songs about me, 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 and I. The mark of the beast is 666, self, 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 man, man, man. We've entered into a space where it's Jesus and him alone will be glorified. Amen. Amen, Tony. It's going to change our worship. And that's what happened at this Ashbury. Suddenly their worship, Jesus landed. The one in white landed. And their simple songs on their out-of-tune guitars suddenly sounded like worship of heaven. And people, 900,000 people were drawn to come and hear. Not because it was excellent, not because it had great production, not because it was the best musicians and singers, because Jesus was there. Amen? Oh, God. The next thing that will happen is that a great hunger is going gonna, is gonna, to and it is coming. Do you feel it? Can you feel it, Alex? Can you feel hunger for Jesus more than you ever have before? I can feel it inside of me. I just, I don't want to do anything else but love him. I'm just so hungry for his presence. The hunger for God is the landing strip of the Holy Spirit. That's where he lands. You're hungry, like Katrina said, you know, you got to step in. It's time to step in, people. It's not time to stay at an arm's distance and just go, well, that's great for all these people but maybe God doesn't love me that way or maybe I don't feel God. I'm telling you, you take one step. The Bible says you take one step towards Jesus, he'll run to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. It's a promise from him. The next thing that will happen is the prodigal sons and daughters will come home. And there's such an anointing on that. They're coming already. They're coming, the prodigal sons and daughters, all those two generations that are out of the church. There are two generations missing that have been offended by church. They got beat up with religious stuff. They got sick of the shows. They got sick of the performance that wanted something real. They're out there and they still love Jesus. They still love Jesus, but they just haven't found a place to go where Jesus is expressed the way they want him expressed. Well, I want to tell you this, when they hear that Jesus is in the church, that Jesus has taken over the church, they're going to come running. They're going to come running home. Amen. All of you have got prodigal sons and daughters. Amen. Start to rejoice and thank God that they'll hear the sound and they'll see the light of Jesus. The next thing that will happen is miracles. I mean miracles, miracles, miracles. You're going to do miracles. As you press into Jesus, as you become one with Him, you know, and you reach out to pray for someone, it's actually going to happen. We're going to see miracles like we've never seen before. Jesus said, greater things shall you do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all men. I don't think we've seen the greater things than Jesus did yet. Why? Because He was one man. And He said, greater things than you do because you'll be a company of me. You'll be millions of me across the earth. Amen? Come on. When's the last time you raised a dead person? I tried. It didn't work. But anyway, that was a long time ago. That was embarrassing. Um, it was worth a try. <laughs> the next thing that will happen is inner healing, freedom, and deliverance. 
Right now, we're seeing deliverance movements rise up right across the earth. Christians that have been bound for so many years are being set free in a moment in time. I'm talking moments in time. You know, don't you think that God is so sick and tired of His children being tormented by the very angels that He sent to look after them? He sent angels to look after us. And then these angels that have rebelled against God, they think, well, I'm not looking after them. I'm going to torment them. I'm going to, I'm going to harass them. I'm going to give them horrible dreams. I'm going to put fear in them. I'm going to do Well, I tell you what, God said no more. No more. My people will be set free. Amen. Hallelujah. That's happening. I know it's happening. The next thing will happen is identity, purpose, and destiny. You'll start to realize as you press into Jesus that you'll find your own identity. I mean, my daughter, Jilly, I think she put something up on Facebook this morning. I wish I had it with me. But she said something like, um, when I was a child, I, I was, wasn't afraid to smile or pull funny faces or dance when I felt like it or sing when I felt like it. I, I wasn't afraid to skip down the street. But, but as I became a woman, I realized these things aren't acceptable anymore and I've shut them down. And so my personality was squashed by the fear of man. But she had her two daughters in the picture with her and she said, I pray that my daughters will never have to squash their personalities. That they will be who they are and who God made them to be. And I believe God is going to unravel our identities, that we're just going to be so free to be ourselves. So free to be yourself. Be yourself. You're gorgeous. You're amazing. You're the one of a kind. There's only one of you. Why would you try and be like something else? Do you know what I mean? Let your hair down. You know, if you're an extrovert like Terry, walk into the room mouth first. Hallelujah. You know what I mean? If you're an introvert, be an introvert. Be you. Amen. And then our purpose and our destiny will come to light. The next thing He'll do is He'll call us to radically fall in love with Him. Heart, soul, mind and strength. How many of us really keep that second commandment, which is fulfills all the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as you love yourself. How many of us? Anybody? Anybody love God with all the heart, soul, mind and strength? Uh, anybody love their neighbour? Anybody love themselves? Oh, that one, handbrake slide. Okay, I might be able to love God. I might be able to love my neighbor, but when you talk about self, mm, yeah, we, hit, we, hit a, we hit a wall there. Oh, I'm nearly finished. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. But anyway, anyway, where else do you got to be? Sit in a movie theater for three hours. Surely you can listen to Jesus. This is the other thing he's going to do. He's going to give us a revelation of the new creation that is inside of us. Scripture saying 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I've got a whole sermon to preach on this, so I won't preach on it. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It says it like this in the Passion Translation. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God, ma God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others. I think within this move of God in this visitation of Jesus himself that we're going to get a fresh revelation about these new creation beings that we are and how we do not live the fullness of our new creation identity we do not we're only touching and skimming the surface of what is in if, if Father, Son and Holy Spirit are in me and I am in them and we are one what can come out of me? And what devil can even stop it? We need to get that revelation. I'm going to preach on that in a, in a, in a, when I can. 
<laughs> you'd stay, wouldn't you, Nisa? You'd stay all day and listen to me. He's coming to prepare a glorious church. Just go to that, yep. Just as Christ also loved the church, Ephesians 5.17, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. That's what he will do if he lands in the church. We want him to come. Let's stand to our feet. Do you want him to come? I mean, he's here. I'm going to repeat the words of Evan Roberts. The Word of God says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them. Is that right? Is Jesus here? Is Jesus here? Let's just worship him. Come, team. Run. Sing the chorus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is wonderful. Counselor, Almighty God. His name is Jesus. open and angels ascending and descending from the very throne of God. I believe this morning that there is an anointing to receive an experience of an open heaven, a portal opening over your life as I pray for you. So if that's you as they sing, just come and fill the altar. If the altar gets full, go up the sides, wherever you want. I know God is going to come. I know it. Move right to the front. Move to the front. the whole service and in fact for a few weeks now because there's something that God has for you that is far beyond what you've even thought about or imagined in your own mind you are a leader son of a generation and you've been hurt and you've been wounded and disillusioned by the church and rightfully so I partner with you in that But Jesus is coming real now. And son, it's time to walk out of that cave, that cave that you've been in. It's the cave of Abdullam that David went into to hide when the enemies were too strong. And I see you in the cave of Abdullam. And I feel the Lord calling you out to accept the invitation for the anointing that's on your life to be one of the leaders of a whole generation because you are a speaker, you are a preacher and God wants to burn the Word of God inside of you like fire. 
Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Would you let me pray for you? Come, come, son. Thank you, Jesus. Just make space for him, Roger Valley. Come, come, come. Come on, lift your hands to Jesus. Katrina talked about choices. This morning is a choice for you, prodigal, to return to Jesus. To let go and forgive all that you've seen, all that you've heard that is not of God. And to embrace the true Lord Jesus Christ. Because the true Lord Jesus Christ is standing right in front of you, son. And he brought you to this place so that he could find you again. Because he's been searching for you. Like the prodigal son, he's been waiting for you to come home. So why don't you just say this with me? Jesus, forgive me that I've run away from you. I need you, Jesus. And I'm coming home to be a servant in your house. And I feel the Lord saying to you that you will not be a servant but that you are a son. And this is an adoption, an adoption into the kingdom of God and not the church. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you would baptise this young man fresh. Jesus, that you would come and fill him to overflowing with your mighty power. Come on, lift that music. Oh, Jesus, his name is. Jesus. Holy Spirit. His name.